Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Draft Politics. It's episode 18, and I'm EJ, and with me as always... It's Steve here. Uh, yeah, we just uh, actually last night had my birthday party, so... Oh, happy birthday, Steve. Thank you. Uh, it's actually not for another week, but, you know, celebrate a little early and uh, a little often last night. So maybe a little slow, this, uh, this fine podcast, but uh, nonetheless, we're going to grind through this. I think there's lots you'll, you'll enjoy... Even if we're a little little hungover. <laughs> well, hey, hey, in fairness, we did sample some really good Chicago beers. You had some Maplewood. Had some uh, Maplewood. Had some really Dovetail. Nice. Yeah. All, yeah no. all good stuff there. Yeah. Twisted Hippo brought, yes. That, yes, uh, yes. brought that into the mix. A big, nice crowler. But we'll talk more about that in our beer segment. For now, let's talk about buying Greenland. I know. I know. I've been, uh, <laughs> I'm starting a... GoFundMe and a Kickstarter. I think I have to do both to get enough money to buy Greenland. Right. It's going to be some really good oceanfront property. Uh, are you sure it's Greenland I or not Iceland? I'm, I'm sure. It's very easy sure. to get confused. That the you know, you can cut a deal with the Danes. We can buy right. Greenland. So, yeah, for everybody, I, if you haven't heard, uh, Trump apparently decided that we should buy Greenland. We have no idea how he got this idea in his head. We're also not entirely clear if he thinks he's buying Greenland or Iceland. Um, no. You know, it, 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 the, the, the Danes who actually own Greenland are apparently not selling, so it's sort of an irrelevant uh, story. But it's just one of the just weird things that Trump got a burn like his butt about. And like, okay. I really believe that somewhere there's like a... You know when you see the lottery draw on TV and it's all the little ping pong balls and they right, spit up at right. random? I think somewhere is that with either ideas or nouns and verbs and the things that come out of Donald Trump's mouth kind of have popped up, right? It's, it's like, like boop, 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 today boop. it's Greenland. Yeah, what? Greenland, okay. What, what are we going to do with Greenland? Yeah. Buy. Okay, that's great. It's like buy, <laughs> bomb, invade. You know, it could be any of those things. <laughs> it's just like the slot machine was just like, yeah. okay, Greenland, buy, you know, whatever. Yeah, so it's it's pretty strange. But uh, uh, what's been big in the news this week, though, has been uh, more about uh, Jeffrey Epstein because he ended up, uh, well, depending on who you ask, either being murdered by a conspiracy or committed suicide. Um, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but since then there's been uh, autopsy done and we have right. a little bit more sense of what's going on. Um, there's all kinds of like questionable things. Like if you were trying to design a conspiracy theory or something to start a conspiracy yeah. theory, this is what you would do. It would be a good one. Yeah. yeah. This would be a good place to start. Right. So uh, apparently the guards who were... Uh, supposed to be monitoring that area when Epstein killed himself, uh, had falsified their logs because they fell asleep on the job. Right. Um, they were supposed to watch every 30 minutes. They were supposed to check his cell. They hadn't checked it for several hours. Right. He was supposed to have a cellmate at all times. Yes, that and his cellmate had, had apparently been transferred out. And nobody so it was just him. In. Um, you know, and that left him alone in his cell with uh, plenty of uh, bedding and a bunk bed. And it seems that the way that he killed himself was he uh, hung himself after flinging himself off the bunk bed. Um, now, one of the things that came up uh, in the autopsy was that there's a bone, and I forget the name of this bone, it's but a bone. Hyoid bone. The thyroid. Thyroid? Hyoid. Hyoid. It's your Adam's apple. Um, yes, your, your Adam's apple. That, why didn't they just call it that? 
<laughs> I mean, it's not like there's... Because there's, then anybody could be a doctor. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, yeah, so apparently uh, he broke that, which typically does not happen in a hanging. However, the way that he hung himself is a little unusual in that he kind of flung himself off a bunk bed, which, as, I'm, as I understand, is not the typical way one hangs I, oneself. I, I, I haven't studied it deeply, but uh, inevitably everybody is going to believe, or at least a large portion of everybody is going to believe, that this was a conspiracy to kill him. Some people will believe what the coroner has said, that it was a suicide by hanging. Uh, and, and I tend to be in the, in the latter category of, these are the facts that we have. The coroner who did the, the, the study here is a very reputable coroner. Sure. So... You know, until something else comes up that that really actually suggests a conspiracy, I'm I'm not going to think too much about it. Lord knows there are plenty of rich people who wanted him dead, so you never know. Sure, sure, including you know, the person in the White House, right? And maybe people details, who previously. Details. I mean, yeah. I mean he had he had sort of tainted enough people that, um, yeah. But but again, as you said last week, and I think this is important. We're going to see more details of things and. And his life come out because of this. Yeah. Because things are going to be made public, and that's already happening. People have already filed suit against his estate. Um, so Yeah, and certainly a lot of the testimony he may have given can be given by the people who were actually harmed by him and right. others. So, um, you know, it isn't really clear what the long-term effects of that will be. No, but I hope everything comes out. Yeah. I think it's going to be very messy. Uh and, I, and, and whatever come comes out. out, I think just because of the nature of our political environment, a lot of people are just not going to believe. Sure. Even, if it is, even if it is true, there's going to sure. be a lot of people who just aren't going to believe it. Yeah. And, you know, Donald Trump, of course, retweeting conspiracy theories about it. Yeah. And sort of Because he's a classy the, guy. Yeah. The Trumpian thing of, well, I don't know that nobody did not un... You know. So that'll probably continue. We'll probably see that oh, yeah. all the way through the election. Yeah. <sighs> So, yeah, moving on from that, um, we have uh, some stuff around Israel and uh, yeah. Rashida Tlaib. Um, and Ilhan Omar. And Ilhan Omar. So yeah. they were supposed to be part of a congressional delegation to go to Israel. And it seems that Trump found out about this. Um, I'm assuming he found out in his daily briefing in between things saying Trump is awesome. Um, but then uh, once he found out about that, he tweeted that they should be banned from Israel Israel right. said, oh, sure, and went along yeah. with it. Well, even more than that. So, I mean, this has been, I guess, stewing for a few weeks, but the, the ambassador to the U.S. from Israel had said, we're not going to, so two weeks ago, 10, ten days ago, he had said, we're not going to restrict the access of U.S. members of Congress to Israel. We want them to see, you know, what our democracy yeah. looks like. We always want to be open about that, and that's kind of a longstanding Israeli tradition. Um, there is, at the same time, a law in Israel uh, about uh, sort of certain kinds of protests, specifically not letting people into the, the country who advocate for things like the BDS movement. Um, yeah. So there is something kind of on the books. And then, you know, I think everybody thought that it, was, it wasn't going to be a thing because the ambassador had said, we're going to let them in. Yeah. And then Donald Trump says... It would be very weak and very bad. Um, they hate Israel and all Jewish people and are the face of the Democratic Party. And then Netanyahu, who is running, 
running in another election here. If you yeah. recall, there was an election in Israel a month and a half ago or so, and that was inconclusive, so they have to have another general election, and that's coming up in a few weeks. He needs all the support he can get. So in an effort to look strong, he did what somebody else told him to do. Right. <laughs> to be fair, it was another right-wing guy, so, you know, it's, it's all fine. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, so eventually they, they, so they were saying she couldn't travel there at, well, so Ilhan Omar wasn't going to be allowed to travel there at all. Um, they were negotiating about having Rashida Tlaib uh, be able to travel there to see her grandmother as a private citizen, right. but a not as part of a congressional delegation or whatever else. And right. Tlaib said no to that. Well, um, she initially said yes, and then I think all of the restrictions around it yeah, kind of came out. Yeah, it was like, out. oh, sure. And then like, well, she got to know like what exactly it was going to mean. She's like, mm, no. Yeah, no. And a lot of actually Palestinian advocates had had voiced their own sort of disgust with the terms that were kind of laid out there and said, well, she shouldn't go because then it's just capitulating. Right. And it's probably a no-win situation for everybody. But I think at the end of the day, the Israelis look kind of silly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I don't know wh- how this will play out in Israeli politics. You'll have yeah. to check our other well, and I think podcast about that one. It's Yeah. And it's been interesting to see like how... Um, discussion around BDS is becoming more and more prevalent in politics. Yeah. Um, there's been a very strong pushback against it. Um, like bills basically being proposed that would make it illegal for businesses doing business with the government to yeah. have any kind of BDS position. And so BDS is boycott, uh, divest, and sanctions. And basically, yes. it, it, to think about it most simply, it's essentially the same policy that was attempted against South Africa uh, when they had apartheid. It's the same kind of policies. Yes. Um, there's, of course, a whole other layer of political complexities around this because of, you know, the position Israel has had historically, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but it, it, it it's entirely possible that these kinds of moves by, like, Israel actually hurt them in the long run because it gives a platform and something to talk about, about, right. you know, those who do support BDS, for them to talk about what does it mean really. Yeah. Um, and... and Bernie Sanders, for his part, came out this week and said, well, Israel, if you don't want to let our Congress people come to Israel to see yeah. how the money is being spent, then don't take any of the money. Right. And, of course, Donald Trump didn't go after Bernie Sanders about that. Nobody went after Bernie Sanders. They went out after Muslim women. Right. Which is really, <laughs> when you think about it, what it comes down to. This isn't about necessarily Israel. This is about Donald Trump and the Republican Party wanting to demonize women of yeah, color. It's, it's the same game plan they've had yeah. all along. Get um, used to it. We've only got whoo, yeah. 16 uh, more months until the election. Right? And then, and then yeah, and, the, and then the time after the election, and then if all goes well, Trump gets out of office, and then we've just got just the Republicans doing it without Trump, which will right. be extra fun. Although um, fewer Republicans, and we'll, maybe right. different Republicans. We'll yeah, talk we'll, about we'll that. We'll see how that goes. In a little bit. Maybe less Texas Republicans. Ooh, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. Uh, yeah, so yeah. going up from there, um, Trump had an event at a uh, Shell plant uh, in Pennsylvania, and apparently the workers were required to participate in this. Now, let me, let me qualify that a little yeah. bit. Um, so they, they could either attend the speech... Or they could stay home without pay or use their PTO time. So basically their choice was show up, 
use vacation time, or lose approximately $700 for that time in right. pay and benefits. Right, right, right. They had to swipe their badge. Yeah. To they be were able treating to get it paid. as a training event, uh, apparently. So, um, and like some of the workers, I guess it depended on where you were and who you were reporting to, but some of the workers had to sign an agreement acknowledging they weren't allowed to protest in any way. Um, and they had to, this is actually my, the part that bothers me the most, is they had to stand there for several hours. They weren't given lunch or anything. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of a dick move. <laughs> like, at least let them sit. <laughs> I mean, do they, you know, I mean, the whole thing about, like, it's that weird blurring of, you know, political and government operations and yeah. private business and... Yeah. Um, and the workers had to sign an agreement, right? Saying they weren't going to protest, yeah. they couldn't speak up. Yeah. Just sort of... Pure photo op. Yeah, Pure exactly. Photo op. exactly. Um, although my favorite was, I was reading an article on this, and I love this quote. Uh, this is from the manager of the Steamfitters Local 449, business manager of uh, Steamfitters. Uh, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll do photo ops all day, all day long if they put another cracker in our area. Cracker is a technical term for the kind of like uh, yeah. oil facility, it's, but it, I found it kind of hilarious. It is. <laughs> part of the distillation process yes. right like, but but still you know i mean i think when it comes down to it people want jobs and yeah they feel well, like you know and it, it hints at you know as we talk about um you know climate change and, and actually even like immigration we always have to think about the jobs angle around a lot of these yeah. things yeah, yeah um like one of the things that you'll see in texas is that you've got um people who would nominally be allied with the immigrants who work in those prisons down there who have jobs because they're detaining yeah. those people. And so, okay, if you want to shut down those, those prisons, you need to have other economic opportunities for those people living in those areas. Yeah. No, that's a good point. <laughs> so, it's a good point. Um, you know, and that's going to apply to this applies to, you know, changing healthcare, any sort of reforms yeah. are going to have a, a job impact. And we have to think about yeah. that. We've talked about similar things with things like Amazon too. Yeah. Amazon may, people may think they're terrible, but there are also people where, they need those jobs. That's, that's the what's there. They open yeah. Them. Um, well, and you know that conveniently takes us into our next segment: the economy. Love uh, the economy. Oh yeah. Hey, can we talk about the most interesting thing this week? Yes. The yield curve. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, that yield curve. A good yield curve. Ah, uh, nothing like an inverted yield curve. Crazy inverted yield. Crazy curve. Crazy inverted yield curve. <laughs> so. I always feel like it's 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 worth giving a little explanation on what the like what does that mean because we're, we're told it's bad but basically what's happening is the yields uh, you've got a yield for a two-year treasury note and the yield for a 10-year treasury yeah. note and 10-year treasury typically yields more than two-year treasury right, because because you're holding on to it longer the there's a greater risk up, so you know it, it makes sense however when the economy is about to turn you end up having a bunch of people trying to move their money out of the stock market into bonds. And so those short-term bonds, the price on those goes up because right. there's more demand, the yield goes down. And so that's when you get a yield curve inversion. So it's, it's sort of, it's not so much a, it's not so much that it causes the economy to turn. No. It's just an indication the economy is turning and it's sort of a thing that tends to happen. It doesn't always predict a turn, but it is one of the more consistent indicators that, you know, you're going to hit a recession in the next year or two yeah and i think the the thing i would say about it you know as somebody who enjoys statistics you know there's there's a correlation here it is a marker of the free market right so the market says we're scared we're gonna do yeah. these things we're, we're nervous we're gonna start 
putting these things right. in safe places. I mean, because the thing is, the yield you're getting on bonds is garbage. But right. it, but if it's it, but, but it's if it's above safe zero, yeah. it's better than what you're doing in a in a market that's right. tanking. Right. Um, and and of course, you know, Donald Trump, who you know really seems to think that the markets are the economy, or you know, he's done a very good job, I think, of using that as a way to kind of tout the economy. Yeah. Um, freaked out. Though yeah. I'm not really sure he understands it at all. But, you know, right. freaks out and starts blaming the Fed, which is hilarious. Which has nothing to do with no. any of this. I no, mean, no, no, and no. the Fed has actually started working in his favor nominally of, like, cutting interest rates. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, but, you know, it's worth remembering that our interest rates are already very low historically. Yeah. I mean, they're extremely I, low. Yeah, so... Um, there's only so much the Fed can do, and uh, only so much the Fed yeah. should do. I think a lot of people would argue. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think this goes to, you know, again, the kinds of language we're going to see. You know, the economy is awesome, but we better cut rates to make the economy better. Well, like those two things shouldn't exist in the same world. Right? Yeah, the economy is awesome. Look at all the, you know, you know, jobs are great. You know, lowest unemployment ever, but actually. Nobody really knows what those jobs are. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something I think we all need to be very cognizant of um, when we're talking to other people about the economy and when we're thinking about it and taking information in that we'll be getting lots of mixed messages. We'll get lots of things that really shouldn't exist together. Well, and I think a lot, of, yeah. a lot of this comes down to the way that our economy works now is very different than the way it worked even 10 years ago and yeah. certainly more so than you know 30 40 50 years ago when a lot of these sort of statistics about the economy were being built out i mean we've you know we track unemployment well unemployment has a very specific meaning it's like it's it's people who are you know um, out of work for a certain period of time but not so far out of work that they you know are no longer cuz they're looking for a job but it doesn't account for things like gig economy jobs yeah. very well. It doesn't account for people working multiple jobs very well. And so a lot of the the way that employment has changed makes that hard. Like, for example, one of the surveys uh, said that only, like, I think it was, like, 5% of people work two jobs. Well, that sounds really low. And when you find out how they get those numbers, what they do is they do it based on a phone survey of landlines. And they only call, so they only call landlines, and in order to be included in the survey, you have to report multiple times. So people who are consistently at home to answer to landline phones who are working multiple jobs. So you can see how the five percent number <laughs> kind of breaks like, down pretty that's, quickly. That's not a group that actually no. exists. <laughs> and you know, the whole gig economy has changed. I think how people interact with their employers too. So you know, nobody who has a gig uses a landline for that gig because it's all app-based. Right. 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 I it's can all, push everything yeah, out. It's all cell phones. And, like, and even if you're talking about part-time jobs, you have you know, different like, sort of dynamic scheduling and things like that where you know, they're being very cautious about only giving you so many hours at one job. And so you, know, you might be full-time employed across three jobs that have different competing schedules. Right. Um, so it's very complicated relative to the way it used to be where it's like you have one full-time job that is your job 
oh, you have a part-time job, but that is a temporary thing between full-time jobs. You know, right. back when it was a very manufacturing-heavy economy, where it's like, okay, yeah, you might be laid off, but it was a because the economy's down for a bit, and we're going to hire you right back instead of like you're laid off and that's it, and the plant's going away and all that. <laughs> the whole industry goes away because yeah. there's going to be a new industry. Yeah, disruptors, disruptors. So, so as we look at you know a potential recession, like how that's going to affect things is hard to tell. Um, you know, and a lot of this, you know, there's some blame on Trump. I mean, you know, he threw out a hundred. He was talking about doing a hundred percent tariff on French wine. Just you know, like all kinds of just random aggression sure. Again, that he's doing. Back to the something popped up from the right. Yeah, boop, from wine. Boop. Oh, wine. Okay, tariff amount. Boop, hundred percent. Okay, sure. sounds good. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, so he has an effect on this, but we need to recognize also that the way that the world economy has worked is yeah. changing too. It is. You have declining growth in population. Um, a lot of China's growth has come from catching up to the technology of Western countries. And a lot of that catch up has happened. So China's pretty advanced at this point. So a lot of that development has shifted to like Vietnam and other like Southeast yeah. Asian countries. And so, over time, though, that means overall a slower rate of growth, which from a pure, like, this is how capitalism has always worked perspective, yeah. that's a problem. Um, but we also have to think about, like, what does, you know, a, a world with climate change and diminishing resources and trying to sort of have sort of a sustainable system, how do we have this sort of notion of infinite growth, too? Right, um, right, right. So it's Whew. it's yeah it's complicated. Uh, I, I mean I'm I'm you know I'm concerned as we look at another recession about the amount of debt in the system that we have so many people working in the gig economy that you know how does that how do we sort of I mean because inevitably the business cycle does does its ups and downs and, yeah. and that happens but it's how long are you in those downs how do you get out of those downs is the question right and, and what happens when people are in those downs yes, so yes we have. A shrinking in the number of people across the country who are covered by healthcare. Yeah. We have an expansion of number of people who are in the gig economy, which usually doesn't come with any kind of benefit. Right. Right. Um, it's really it's really hard to see how sort of unchecked for lack of a better word, capitalism can exist in a world where you know people have less safety net and less security around job and healthcare and home right. and all of those things, um, especially here, right? Yeah. There are other places, you know, Germany's already, I guess, they've had one quarter of contraction of their economy, yeah. which is, should make everybody nervous. Um, you know, China's growth is still there, but it's... Lots like of it for artificial. them, it's like, well, we're growing less, and yeah. and you know the, but you know, I mean, ultimately, the growth they've had is totally unsustainable over the long haul. You know, ten percent, you know, growth yeah. is not, it's not normal for more than a sh period of time. Where, like I said, you've got sort of that technology catch up and all of that. Well, and it's also somewhat manufactured, right? Because the the Chinese government will say, yeah, we need the economy to keep going, so we're going to build a bunch of new roads. Yeah. And, you know, where that money actually comes from well, is kind of vague, right? And the thing of it is, is, like, that's okay to a point. So, like, if you're building roads and that is a road that leads to, you know, businesses being able to move products to market better or whatever, okay, fine, that all works great. Um, but there was, like, and this goes back to, like, the 2007 crash or whatever, where they're basically, like, building, like, a whole city in the middle yeah. of nowhere 
The ghost cities. Yeah, just like... And nobody know, ever lives there. Yeah, and nobody lives there. It's just like, okay, well, we're just going to do that because we can. It's like, it looks good in terms of the stats, but it's but it doesn't actually do anything. And so right. that's one of the challenges we have is like, how do we measure what is good for the economy in the long run? Yeah. And, 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 and recognizing that the economy needs to be in service to people, not the other way around. And so how we measure it has to account for that. Yeah. So, That's a really good hey, point. Growth is the only reason growth is good is because historically that leads to improvements in the standard of living. Well, perhaps we focus on improvements in the standard of living however we get there and GDP is a secondary factor. Right. It's just harder to measure those things. It's a qualitative thing rather than a quantitative thing. So yeah, so uh, if you're still with so us in a week, the economy's looking shaky, <laughs> but probably you know yield curve tends to give you a year or two lead time. So yeah. you know we're not there yet. Uh, maybe we're better. Well, then so here here's a question for uh, you, EJ. Okay, which is better? I know I know where this is going. Uh, the economy turns south sooner. Yeah, and Trump's in charge for sure. Or the economy turns south after the election. And maybe Trump doesn't win the election and we maybe have somebody else in charge on the theory that if he gets taken, if it happens sooner, that's going to hurt Trump's reelection. Right. chances. I was going to ask you the same question. Would you rather have <laughs> would you rather? Uh, yeah. Would you rather a bad economy, you know, for most of 2020, if that meant not having Donald Trump? But it also meant him screwing it up even more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, could he? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. More. Yes. Tariffs. Yes. Um, nothing like having him in charge when we've got shaky mar markets looking for reassurance. Yeah, well, I mean, but one would argue, I think, that the whole reason that things are shaky is because it's chaos. And yeah. nobody knows what's going to happen next week yeah. or Well, I mean, it's uh, like, yeah, oh, we're going to raise tariffs. No, we're not going to raise tariffs. Right. Like, and so that fluctuation causes that. Yeah. It causes uncertainty. Uncertainty causes companies to pull back on their investments. Now, at the same time, he could game the system and basically be like, okay, well, I'm going to make things shaky now, but then, you know, come, you know, July, August of next year, I'll uh, be like, okay, we're going to cut back all the tariffs. We've made a deal with China. The economy is going to be great. Da -da 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 -da. And now everything's looking great for religion. Yeah. So, or, or more likely, it doesn't matter what's actually happening. Yeah. He's just going to lie about it anyway. That is so, true. So. But, but I, I do think. I think our answer, though, is yeah. uh, Trump being in charge is bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, really and truly, if the if the markets and the economy kind of start to turn south next year, um, I would take that. Yeah, I mean, a, I think it's like yeah, I would I would rather have you know a few months to a year of it being worse. Yeah, with the notion that then we would get four years of it being much better. Because if, if we get him for another four years, then yeah, I don't know what happens, but none of it's good. None of it's none of it's good. I guess you know he said the other day, "Like me or hate me, you got to vote for me. Otherwise, your four hundred one k is going to go down the tubes." Okay, man. Uh, does he want me to go look at my four hundred one k over the last couple of weeks? Because I don't think he wants. Seems like an odd time to bring <laughs> it up. But let's move on. I think yes, we should move yes, on. I think we covered that. Um, so, yeah, speaking of uh, things in the future that might be problematic, uh, climate change, of course, is uh, a, a big concern. And one of the things that has been suggested is we should do more natural gas because natural gas doesn't provide CO2 emissions. And one of the big open questions has been, 
well, how much of the methane from that gets into the atmosphere and also adds to climate change? And methane's a little bit weird this way because it's like it lasts less, it's shorter, it's got a shorter impact in the atmosphere, right, but, but the amount of impact it has is much, much, much worse. Yeah. Uh, so it's 10 to 20 years, it stays in the atmosphere, 86 times worse when it's there. Right, and we're not talking about cows here. This is not a cow. Yes, this is effect. not cow farting. Uh, it, yeah, so they've seen a spike in uh, overall global methane emissions, and they weren't sure why. They thought maybe it might be from like permafrost uh, melting in the Arctic, or it could be any number of things. Well, it turns out it's because we're fracking. So, and we're fracking to get natural gas, to, you know, and that's right. that's the problem. And in addition to all the other problems that fracking has, of you know, injecting potentially toxic chemicals into water supplies and causing earthquakes. And uh, we'll get to Hinkenlooper dropping out later, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, fracking uh, is not a good idea. Just say fracking is bad. Fracking is bad. Fracking bad. Okay. It's good. Fracking That's bad. A, yeah. Climate change we bad. And, Climate and not changing good. <laughs> it's the other... You know, it's the narrative that we're seeing about fossil fuels and, and them not being in a good place. Now, now, look, we should all acknowledge that the development of fracking actually really helped the economy for a number of years. And the ability to get natural gas out of the ground and drive those prices down was generally helpful um, to the economy, but especially that, economies know. in you know the Dakotas. But that gets back to our previous segment, yeah. right? It's like, well, that's good for the uh, GDP and the economy, but is that good for the people? And in the long run, I mean, in the short term, for those people who have those yeah. jobs, you know, sure. But in the long run, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's not it's not a good thing. When you can light <laughs> your drinking water on fire, yes. it's not a great thing. So if there's any takeaway you should take from this podcast today, fracking is bad. Um, before we get into some sort of electoral politics, uh, because there's some really interesting news, I think, especially coming out of Texas and, you know, Republicans retiring all over the place. And I'm going to talk about that. But maybe just bridging that a little bit with, um, you know, some more of this craziness on the, you know, it, nominally on the immigration front, but I, I think more on the demonization of others kind mm -hmm. of front. Yeah. So we had this story that came out this week. Um, there were uh, protesters from a, a, a Jewish group. I think it's called like Never Again. Never Again Action. Yeah. Yes. They were protesting a, a, an ICE detention facility uh, really sitting there and... Yeah, and they were, it was a sit-in where they are blocking access to yeah. the facility. And the upshot is a facility guard decided to just run into them with his truck. Yeah. And so, yeah. So injured six protesters, broke somebody's leg as he ran over them. Right. Um, now, what really was disturbing to me about this was you had police who were there to sort of like keep an eye on the protest and keep it from getting out of hand or whatever. This guy drives over people and the response by the police was not to arrest him or stop him. It was right. to pepper spray the protesters. Yeah. So... <sighs> <laughs> this is this is one of the things that alarms me in general about the way our politics has been playing out is that a lot of the protesting is against sort of 
right-wing fascist kind of power structures right. and, and that sort of thing. But the people who are in those positions of being the police, the people who should be protecting, et cetera, et cetera, are more likely aligned with that structure. Right. And so, I mean, I think generally speaking, from what I've seen, is like most protests, police are generally speaking handling it well, if for no other reason they realize that the downside of bad media coverage is generally worse than whatever the protesters are bringing. Sure. But, um, but it does concern me, you know, as we sort of ramp this up and as we start demonizing people and thinking about these in more aggressive terms, that those sort of short-term concerns about media perception get ignored in favor of cracking skulls. and Yeah, it, it really is, it, it really to me is sort of this logical conclusion from people saying, you know, there is an absolute right, you know, and the absolute correct answer is to detain people or whatever. And everybody who is against you, who doesn't 100% ag- agree with you, is 100% against you. And, you know, that's led to things like this, you know, the, the shootings in Texas. You know, there are actually laws in the books in, uh, I think, in the Dakotas that say, if you're a protester at a, you know, a certain kinds of sites, you essentially have no rights. Yeah. I mean, these are really scary things when you think about maybe what most people would consider are the core ideals and values of the United States. Yeah. Well, and the thing to remember is that, you know, like we tend to think of our laws and our, and our constitution, our system of government protecting those rights. But it's, it's important to remember the history of our country and realize that slavery was legal. So, like, the law, it, however the Constitution is written, et cetera, like, and how, how it's interpreted, and the laws that are written can make that vary a lot more widely than sort of what fits in our normal bounds of, like, this is the way that we are treated, and we have freedoms, and we have protections. Like, we have to be cautious that those things can be taken away yeah. quite easily, if, if the people in power agree that they should be taken away. Yeah. And so the other maybe way to distill this down kind of before we move on from it is that, you know, this week, uh, Cuccinelli, I've forgotten his first name, Ken Cuccinelli, um, who is a, an immigration official for the government, was being interviewed on NPR, and they said, well, you know, the new Colossus, the poem on the Statue of Liberty, giving me your tired, you know, your poor, your huddled masses. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, you know, and it's, it's, it's like people, uh, you know, who can stand on their own two feet. And then saying, actually, it's not really about, ah, that poem was written when everybody was coming from Europe, and there was a class society. Like, so essentially, don't give me any of those people unless they're white. Yeah, is, <laughs> is what it was. So yeah, no, no, <laughs> like that poem was fine when we were only being racist against Germans and Irish. Right, that's totally different. Right, right, yeah, no, like, hey. oh, okay, great. So uh, it just well, and like actually, I heard the follow-up interview with him, and it was so irritating. Like she's asking about like him basically riffing off of that poem, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Well, I didn't do that." Like he's saying like like, like as though as though that was. You know, him saying, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses who can stand on their own two feet. As though he sort of came up with that on his own. Yeah. Just and so they spend like t- 
two minutes going back and forth on this. And I'm like, what I really would have loved to have seen is the person who was hosting there just be like, look, if we're not even going to be able to do this, like, why am I even having you here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just cut away from him and yeah. go on to the next thing. We're just going to move on. But that's, yeah. not, that's not how they roll. But, uh, yeah, <sighs> so... Um, yeah, so that's going on in immigration. Um, they're also shifting, you know, like I said, shifting the immigration qualifications towards wealthier individuals. That's what a lot of the stuff around Ken Cuccinelli was all about is right. like, you know, making sure that people aren't going to end up on welfare or whatever. Public which is charges for the Yeah, and words. it's like, it's it's an absurd thing. And, and when you think about the people who have immigrated here who have had the most impact on things, it's not rich people moving here. I mean, rich people moving here, they're going to buy, a, you know, some real estate. Okay, whatever. Like, if they've already got a business going, it's going somewhere else. It's yeah. not like it's going to be doing something different here. It's the people who are, like, coming here, like, have decided that they have a motivation to move to another country to make their lives better. Those are the kind of people you want here. Yeah. People who are willing to, like, I mean, because you think about, like, a lot of people are barely even willing to live, leave their hometown, let alone move to another part of the planet. Right. Right, right. So, you know, those are people who are going to be vital to what we do, especially, you know, going back to our economy segment. We talk about population growth shifts right. and things like that, like having people here who are, you know, adding to our economy, you know, over time is good. But, you know, they, but, you know, then there's just being a racist. So there's there always that. There it is. <laughs> OK, so let's take a minute or two to talk about some of the things that have happened internationally uh, to the some extent we're really kind of following up on things that we've talked about in the past that are kind of ongoing uh, and interesting. I think the first of those is Kashmir, the, the Indian controlled part. So as a bit of a refresher, you know, a couple of weeks ago, India revoked sort of the special status that Kashmir had in terms of being somewhat self-governing and some rules about who could buy land in Kashmir, etc., and this was seen by the Kashmiri people as India saying, we don't really care about you anymore. We're going to try to really get rid of the Kashmiri people. Um, and it was seen by uh, the ruling party's sort of base as being the right thing to do because you know, they would like to have nominally a, a sort of religious state sort of across the board and Kashmir is primarily Muslim um, and the Hindu Nationalist Party is, is interested in maybe them not being so set apart right. from everybody right. else. And when it happened, you know, it was sort of done from Delhi. There was no sort of communication or consultation with politicians on the ground. They actually put many under house arrest and they shut down the Internet and they said, oh, but it's coming back. Yeah. Now, it's been two weeks. There have been no changes. Well, they, yeah, so they're, they're starting to reduce some of the restrictions, apparently. So bringing back phone service. Um, I, mean, I feel like a lot of this is just kind of an, it's, a, it's on a simmer at this point. Like, it's yeah. kind of at this level. Um, there's definitely been some back and forth between Pakistan and India about, um, like, with Pakistan talking about uh, India's nuclear arsenal, the, the head of the Pakistani army. Referring to Kashmir as a nuclear flashpoint, which is what I really love to hear. Um, so my guess is a lot of that is a war of words. I think there's a recognition, much as there was during the height of the Cold War, is that you know a nuclear war is a sort of 
pointless exercise because everybody gets Worse screwed than if that fracking. happens. Yeah. So, so talking about it, waving it around, you know, fine. But once you actually start to go there, yeah. it, it, it doesn't end well for me. I mean, it's like even if like one of them sort of overwhelmed the other one, you still have all of the debris and everything yeah. else affecting them and everywhere else. And uh -huh. I know China has been trying to sort of calm things down because China doesn't really want that in their neighborhood no. either. And it's, I think it's important to note, right, there is a part of Kashmir that's controlled by Pakistan. And this line of control you know, between the two countries has been where India and Pakistan have fought wars. Yeah. Yeah. And this week... You know, Pakistan said, well, there was an exchange of gunfire and some Pakistanis and some Indians were killed. And the Indians were like, that never happened. So you've got yeah. sort of differing truths as they, uh, as they are. The, yes, the uh, fake news, yes. And Imran Khan, who is the prime minister of, of Pakistan, it, you know, he seems, as we said before, to be trying to take a reasonable tact. But at the same time, I think it's unclear... Uh, it's unclear what will happen if there if there's more pressure put on the region. So India's brought more troops in. There were already, you know, half a million troops in Kashmir and they've brought in tens of thousands more yeah. in the last week. So it's something to be concerned about. I mean, anytime two nuclear powers are Yeah, uh, and there's always the potential for misunderstandings and things getting out of hand and you know, I mean we've we know from our history and you know, the US and Russia um, that, you know, there was times during especially during the uh the cuban missile crisis that the things were damn near close to like a full nuclear war happening just because of miscommunication yeah. so fog of war fog um, of war yeah so uh yeah then we got hong kong um you know they've had six street six straight weeks of protests um and the military had staged itself outside of hong kong apparently uh and it kind of is a warning to the protesters uh, nothing has happened from that at this point. Um, there's been some moves by China to like sort of flex their muscle a little bit. Um, the CEO of Cathay Pacific was ousted because a bunch of their workers were participating in the right. demonstrations. And China said they couldn't. Yeah. So it's, it's not really clear where this is going at this point. I mean, it seems like there's sort of a standing level of tension here. Right. Um, you know, eventually it seems possible that the, you know, central government in China is going to try to crack down on this, but but there, but it isn't without cost to them, and so that's right. that's where this gets interesting. And like, so you know, in, there's many different ways this could play out. They could, you know, try to seed in, you know, counter protesters who cause trouble. You know, which they've said they've done actually. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the protesters this week decided to try to shut down the airport, which they did, and they were peaceful for a while. But then there were. You know, there was some violence at the airport. Yeah. And and, know, it's, and, I, and as I recall, like, that was sort of when the, the troops started to move nearby to say, okay, like, yeah, <laughs> back off. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I saw that was really interesting was protesters then the next day at the airport or two days later with signs that said, we're sorry for, you know, for all of these things. We're fighting for freedom here. Yeah. And, you know, that's really playing to the sort of Western and broader audience, knowing that the Chinese government is taking whatever they can, feeding that back to the mainland is really these are, you know, reckless outlaws doing whatever. Right. And one other thing, because we like to keep it light, the CEO of Cathay Pacific had the most British name ever. Oh, do tell. Rupert Hogg with two Gs. <laughs> Hog out. Yes. At Hog Cathay out Pacific. At, at Cathay Pacific. Uh, which, 
I just, when the news came out and I saw his name, it was like Rupert Hogg. Yes. I mean, you know everything you need to know about that guy from his name. You could probably find the prep school he went to. and <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Just his entire, his entire life laid out just on the basis of the two Gs. Um, and, you know, the, the protests continue. I mean, they, were, they continued all day yesterday. Streets filled. Um, it doesn't look like it's going away, and that's... Yeah. So, yeah. Promising and scary. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and especially with, you know, back to the economic news, you know, economic slowdowns, like cracking down on some protesters might be a good distraction from that. You know, so there's any number of ways that could go. Okay. Well, let's get into everybody's favorite topic, the inverted yield curve. No, no, no. The election (laughs) in 2020, Circus 2020. Election Circus 2020. Some really interesting stuff uh, that's happened this week. I mean, I think across the board, certainly on the presidential side, but maybe even a little broader. uh, And I know we want to kind of take a deep dive into Texas. Words I've never said before. I'm going to take a deep dive into Texas uh, a little bit. But maybe kind of starting off with, you know, the thinning of the herd, if you will, right? We know we're coming up to the next set of debates and those criteria. I think the cutoff is this week to be able to, to make it. Um, we had it's, uh, in 10 days. So like a week 10 and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't like telling people when we're recording. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this was classified. Uh, sorry. So we're at an undisclosed location. So <laughs> actually we don't even know when we're recording. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> When will then be now? Right. Soon. So we had editorial boards from a couple of papers, some in Texas, some in Colorado, calling for people to drop out. Uh, first, for Beto to you know, run for Senate, and his response was, no way. Senate's too small for me, man. I'm Which staying around. such an idiot. Like, <laughs> it's the thing, Come like, on, man. Like, he... So, like, I remember when he first started running for president, people were like, why, you know, why are you running for president? And he was like, well, you know, and I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it was, like, very much like an egotistical, like, I was meant to do this kind of yeah. thing. That may have been what he said. Uh, and now he's saying, you know, the Senate's too small for him. It's like, well, why wasn't it too small for you yeah. when you ran against Cruz? Oh, suddenly it's different? And, hey, President Beto which isn't going to happen. But President Beto, boy, it's a shame you can't get anything done because we don't control the Senate. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it I think drives it, me insane. I, it's one thing to say, I really think I need to carry this further a little further. You know, I, I need to go a little more. I hear what you're saying, but I think I still have a viable campaign. Yeah. It's something else to say, ah, oh, the Senate's too small for me. But I think a lot of it comes down to he doesn't have any good explanation for why he's running in the first place. Yeah. And so he can't make a case for that. That's true. Because he could say, hey, I need to make sure that these policies and these values or whatever are going to drive the agenda, and that's why I need to be running for president now. He doesn't have that. Now, he could, you know, just say, all right, fine. You know, I want to see if I can do it, you know, maybe. Yeah. But this this is the problem he said from the beginning. He's he, he can't do both. Yeah. And so and he's done just well enough running for president that it's making it impossible for him to run his Senate for the Senate, especially now that he's said that because he can't go back and compete and be like, because everybody's going to say he said it's too small. Why is he even here? 
Yeah, it would be difficult for yeah. him. So it would, he would look a bit of clown. And yeah, this hurts. I mean, this hurts. On the other hand, Hickenlooper was like, you know what? I'm not going to win. I, you know, his as a moderate, you know, his air had been kind of taken by sort of the Bidens of the world. Yeah. As if there's more than well, one. Well, I think he was hoping, I think a lot of it with him and some of the other, you know, more moderate to conservative Democrats was they were thinking Biden's going to fall off and I can sort of pick up those numbers. And that hasn't happened, at least not fast enough. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Hickenlooper's out uh, and is going to be, and it sounds like he will be running for Senate. That's not confirmed yet, but. I, I mean, I think he will. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a lot. There's apparently a good number of people running, but he's the only one who's got a big enough name that it's, you know, might give him an edge. Yeah. And I, I think generally speaking, that's a better outcome. Right. Having Hickenlooper, who's already won statewide. Yeah. Uh, to be able to to run for that seat. I, I am all for that. Yeah. And, I, you know, as much as I'm not a fan of him as a presidential candidate, I think like he's pretty seen pretty favorably in Colorado and yeah. so you know I mean he's certainly been a part of Colorado really growing in some pretty substantial ways and you know marijuana legalization and you know so I, um, I, th- I think it's it's a it's a good thing and yeah. I'm really hoping that he sees that through yes Man. but remember everybody fracking is bad fracking still bad okay still bad so <laughs> fracking still bad uh, the other, I think, news out of there was Stacey Abrams officially doing something else. Yes. And a great thing. Yeah, and so she's been doing something else, and now she's taking her something else uh, to a bigger audience. So uh, ever since uh, she lost the election in Georgia, she's started up this organization called Fair Fight. Yep. And they're trying to get um, basically elect- election reform is essentially the focus of that, getting people uh, ballot access, making sure they can get out to vote, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so she's now taken that from being just a Georgia thing to being a national thing. Right. Which is, uh, which is huge and, yeah. and important. And, I, and it, this gets back to what I was saying is like, you know, the Senate's important. You know, like there's all this other small stuff that has to get done right mm-hmm. for the presidency to matter. And and so she understands that, that we if you don't get people out to vote in Georgia or Wisconsin, none of the Florida. rest of this is going to matter. Yeah. And so I like that she's continuing to show a real focus on that. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, after uh, the, the primary is settled out, if she's somebody who's on the VP candidate list, I would imagine she is. But, I, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I know we've talked about this before, and yeah. I hope she's not. Yeah. I think she has lots to offer yeah, in other I, ways. I, and, and it's like the VP job. And I'm talking to you, Joe Biden, is kind of a dead-end job. What do you well, do I after mean, VP? Well, it's ultimately right? dependent on who is offering you the job, right? I mean, if George W. Bush offers you the job, it's a pretty good job. If, you know, Bill Clinton offers you the job, not as good of a job. But actually, actually, even then, it wasn't too bad, I guess. But it's ultimately up to the uh, president to decide. We had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> we had a good time there. Yeah, the oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, so well, you know, we'll see what happens. I think that my sense of it is she's focused on probably running for governor again at this point. But, you know, and you think, 
like I think there's a tendency in seeing elections is like, oh well, that's four years. I don't have, I can't wait four years. Like, yeah. no, no, no. Like it's only four years. Like it's only four years. The time between elections is actually really short when you consider all the, you know, ramp up and you have to do the work that has to be you know, done. Doing yeah. two years of focusing on making election system better, and then the next two years after that, running for office, it all sort of fits yeah. pretty pretty yeah, well. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, but I'm I'm glad that it's just kind of. That she has chosen her path right now, yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm rooting um, for her to succeed. Yeah. So from there, we get into some poll updates. Uh, so Warren has won the election. Uh, she's now up by 11 in Iowa. So we're done. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, now this is a it was a poll. It's a, it's a C plus poll uh, according to 538. So not you know not necessarily one of your more reliable polls, but um, it had. Uh, Sanders at 17, Biden at 17, uh, Warren was at 28, um, so looking pretty good there. Um, but that same poll in June had Buttigieg at 25 and Warren at <laughs> 18. So, like, I don't know how much uh, yeah. I can trust this one. I mean, granted, that was back when Buttigieg had first announced, so he had a lot more name yep. recognition uh, at that time, sort of a big boost. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, I like... It gets back to what I've seen as a, as a Warren fan. What I like is the, the, the trend upwards yep. in a lot of these polls for her, a very varying degrees, obviously. Uh, and, but and, I think that's the first poll I've seen her actively leading in. So, no. And we said it at the very beginning. The more people Elizabeth Warren talks to, the better she yeah. does. Yep. And I, I think she's putting together an amazing campaign. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say from all of the polls, across all the polls in Iowa, the one very consistent thing was there are too many people running. Oh, yeah. I can't keep them all straight. Who the hell are all of these people? Um, yeah, and so like when they do yeah. the polls, like what they'll do is like they'll say, which one of these do you support? I'm going to read off a list. And it's like they go through these 20 and just tell me when you want me to stop. Yeah. And they randomize the order or whatever. But I mean, it's just like it's absurd to try to do polling for that many candidates. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I feel like at this point, if you're doing polls, if you stick to, like, you know, the top ten, you're being, even then, you're being probably more generous than you need to. Because probably top five or six is really where we're we're at. Having, again, here in Illinois, we've gone, or in Chicago, we went through this with the mayoral race, too. And that polling there was a mess. All over the place. Total mess. Um, You know, and I wanted to talk about this a little bit. I saw an article um, and this gets this ties into how we do polling is like the the article headline was energized liberals fear Warren Sanders can't beat Trump. Um, well, that's not really what the poll said. So what the poll said, and this was from fairly like I think this was like a late July poll. Yeah. Um, and it said, uh, which candidate do you think has the best chance of winning? And then everybody yeah. said, pick one. So. You could say so. You might think that ten candidates have a good chance of beating Trump. You can only pick one of them in this it's poll, a, yeah. and so you know Biden got forty nine percent, Sanders twelve, and Warren nine. But it doesn't really mean a lot, right? Like if he's got a one percent better chance of winning, then that's your answer to that poll. But that doesn't mean that there's a real difference. And if you yeah. look at the head to head polling, everybody's kicking Trump's ass right now. So. And I can say ass right now because there's no children around us. Right. The baby's on the other side yes. of the bar and with the dog. Yes. With the dog. See also the dog. See? Dog agrees. That's right. Dog agrees. It is, you know, the, 
at this point, a lot of the polling, I think, is meant to generate headlines. Oh, yeah. For people. Although, I will tell you, when I first read that headline, I was like, oh, they fear Elizabeth Warren? And also, Sanders can't beat Trump? Wait, no, no, that's not what they mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Punctuation's important Yes, there. yes, yes, it Eats, is. Eats, shoots, and leaves. I, I think we won't know how people really feel about the concept of electability, which is what this kind of gets at. Yeah. Until the first couple of couple of actual uh, elections, yeah, which yeah. would prove electability because people will be elected. Exactly, <laughs> and you know we saw you know people ranking you know Democrats ranking their most important things, and you know the the first few that I've seen out of those from Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, like electability was not in the top five. Yeah, I mean, it was like six. You know, but like it's a squishy concept and more people care about other things that are maybe more values aligned. Well, I think a lot of it, what it comes down to is electability reflects who you think other people are going to vote for. Right. Less than who you think you, you should vote for, or who, who really connects with you. And I think that's it's a very it's going to shift a lot is what it, what yeah. it boils down to. Um but yeah, especially given that you know Biden's slowing down his his amount of appearances and things like that, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, um, yeah, it will be, and and we'll see. You know, we'll kind of see as we go into the next set of debates. We're going to cut down a lot of the a lot of the people who are getting polled are going to stop being polled here pretty soon. Um, that's true. What, what are we at now? Are we at nine? We're at nine in. Yeah. Um, Castro and Steyer both have the donors to get in, um, but don't have the polling to get in yet. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, my impression is both of them have been trying to do a lot of outreach to try to, you know, get enough publicity to get them, get their polling up enough. But, uh, uh and I, I think, think they're, they're, Tulsi Gabbard has, has she qualified? Gabbard has not. No. Okay. She has the donors. Yeah, she has the donors, but she doesn't have any. She hasn't hit above two percent in yeah. anything. I think maybe exactly. like one poll, because you have to get like it's like above two percent in four polls over you know four different polls or different regions for the same poll. There's like right. a whole like nuance. Yeah, two percent support in four qualifying national or early state polls yeah. released between June 28th and August 28th. So and you know sort of the bubble right now. I think. Julian Castro has the donors and three polls. Yeah, so he's got three out of four, and I think Steyer yeah. also has, has three, three out, out of four. four. Gabbard, which one I have poll. to believe, like Steyer got. I can't, I'm like wondering how he got any sort of polling, and I, my get, best guess is he got a little bit of a bump when he first jumped in, and just yeah. happened to coincide well with some of the polls. But um, I'd like to see Castro in the in the final debate. I mean, if we're already got nine people on stage, what's a tenth? But Steyer, yeah. I do not care about no. at this point. Or Gabbard. Or Gabbard. Yeah. But I'd really like to see Julian Castro there. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, and, you know, we should get to that point of the election where uh, we can have uh, folks like Gabbard complain about how the system is rigged against them. So sure, let's, yeah. Let's, we got to get to that. Let's move on to that. We've got to get to the, the internal conspiracy theory phase. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> wow. Can we talk a, a little bit about that deep dive into Texas? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We've seen so, yeah, so the headlines I was seeing, it was like, oh, you know, like, is Texas about to shift blue? And so there's a lot of just sort of interesting things going on there. Um, this is like, this has been the dream of progressives for, for some time now, is that finally Texas goes blue. 
um, you know, due to the demographic shifts going on there. Because um, that would pretty much screw Republicans for a very long time if, if Texas became a reliable yeah. electoral college vote, or at least even if it became a swing state. Like right now, right. it's, you know, it's just red. Let, let's, and, and I'm going to preface this. My, my skepticism runs deep here. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I understand yeah. that like 13 Republicans across the country, House members, have resigned. And several of those in Texas, yeah, including your man, Mr. Hurd, Representative yes, Hurd. Yes, we've got it. You know, four more punches on the Hurd card, and we get a free uh, letter <laughs> on letterhead. He'll sign something for us. But <laughs> we need to get him on the podcast. <laughs> in 2016, Hillary Clinton spent more time campaigning in Texas than she did in Michigan. See that? Yeah. It, it, <laughs> this is one of the things. Is like a lot of it, as I see this reporting in Texas, I'm like, I, I keep thinking Admiral Akbar running across the scre- <laughs> yeah. screen saying it's a trap. Um, it is like a- there's definitely shifts going on, but as far as I'm concerned, Texas is red until it's not. Like, yeah. like just if it's gonna happen, let it happen. Yeah. You know. I, um, I, but you know, I mean, so like they haven't lost statewide since 1990. So it's like it's been pretty solidly Republican for some time. But basically what you're seeing is a lot of shifts around the major urban centers yep. in Texas. Um, you know, lots sure. of people moving there for jobs from, you know, the upper Midwest and, and other places. Um, so that's that's changing that there. But you also have the demographic changes, uh, much more uh, Latinx population. They will actually outnumber white people in Texas, not necessarily white voters. And that's a, that's where this gets critical. By 2022, there will be more Latinx Texans if they are registered to vote and vote and vote Democratic, then that that shifts things pretty drastically. Well, and I would also say and if they are counted in the census. Good, good point, too. Which is, yes. Remember that whatever happens, the census starts in 2020. Right. Donald Trump will be president during the census. So and and Lord knows that a lot of the. The intimidation tactics that have been used with ICE and all that are going to be amped up as part of that. Because, you know, if you go turn... And here's what I'm kind of imagining happens. If you turn in your census uh, report, you know, you just fill it out or whatever, it goes off to the census. Great. You're sure. done. Right. If you don't do that, census workers come to visit you. Also true. So yep. if you are having census workers out in the, in the streets and you mix in a few ICE people in randomly rating people to just like make yeah. it look like they're connected. I mean, there's all kinds of just like next door. things. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's going to be problematic uh, to say the least. So, you know, even though we got the citizenship question off of the survey and that's all settled. Yeah. It, you know, there's plenty that can go wrong here. And when right. we talk about Texas electorally, what happens when there are ice raids during the election? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You what know if they're just, be. You know, have some ICE agents standing outside of uh, election uh, locations. You know, they're not, they're not, they're outside, they're outside the little flags. They're outside the, the, <laughs> the, the official flags. line. That's but a very just Chicago there, way to think about you know, it. You yeah, know, just, just looking just hanging out. intimidating. Just hanging out. Maybe occasionally just chatting with people, asking questions yeah. about their immigration status. Just. Boy, I had gone maybe like 48 hours without some existential fear. Hey, but thank you. That's what I'm here for. Beer Thank and you. existential fear. Hey, at That's least our new rhymes. tagline. Yeah. 
That's a great, a great tagline. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I see all that demographic stuff. I hear those headlines. I go back to you know what we saw in the last election. You know, the the their big swaths of Texas are very rural. Uh, that was a dog from Oklahoma, I think, is what's going on there. Yeah. Not not Texas. He's very upset with us talking about Texas so much. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, so and uh, you know, you know. Beto outperformed what anybody expected him to in Texas. Yeah. But he still lost. Yeah. Right. And right. You know, and we'll, we'll see, you know, Cornyn's only got 37% approval rating. So he's not well liked, but is he, is it to such an extent that a Democrat can beat him? We'll find out. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, Cautiously optimistic, which is kind of how I am about anything literally. Oh, that's fine. But Just <laughs> drop some existential fear and then go cautiously right. optimistic. Right. Okay, right. I'll right. take it. Okay, yeah. no, it's fine. I'll take it. Little, little bit of whiplash, but. And I guess there's been some infighting amongst the conservatives in Texas between the you know the people who are just conservative to the ones who are like you know dangerously crazy radical conservative type. So. <laughs> Uh, can we talk that's about the thing that's, so, that's the thing that's so frightening about the way this all plays out is like even even if Demo- like Democrats in order to sort of like drive sort of the fever out of the Republican Party have to win quite a bit. Yeah. But in doing so, they will thin out the more reasonable te- uh, Republicans first, which means all the crazy ones are left. I mean, it's like it's going to get worse before it gets better is, is what it seems Ooh. to be. Whew. And uh, so to me, I'm working on your existential fear I know, quotient I know. here, sir. I'm just thinking about. Let me get back to climate change a little bit. Representative <laughs> Steve King of Iowa, right? Who is? Oh, oh yeah, I mean, that guy. I mean, yeah, we, we totally forgot him on here. I, I don't know how we managed that, but uh, I, I, yeah, well, I try to forget him every day. Yes. And then you think like he's being primaried right now. Yeah. Right. Like, and he he I, he, he uh, endorsed primary. He that said guy? that. He said that we like. How, basically, how many of us would be here if it weren't for rape and incest? <laughs> like, I, I think he even said, like, I can't say that I wouldn't be here. This, this podcast brought to you. But no, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, that's going to do it. <laughs> I, you know, and, he's, and he kind of doubled down. On, well, of course that happened. I, I, oh, oh, okay, Steve King. And I now, mean, I, I will, you know, hey, I'll give him credit for the intellectual <laughs> consistency, I guess. But Jesus. <laughs> like, intellectual is a... Well, intellectual is a fairly strong word for him. Yeah. Uh, But he's being primaried, right? So His his craziness has a defined flavor. (laughs) Who is the person, you know, that I guess other Republican representatives are donating to one of his sort of challengers? Yeah. Who is going to be more right-wing crazy than Steve King? We'll find out in March. (sighs) Probably, I guess. I mean that's a that's a seed. If he doesn't get primaried, he's got to lose. Oh yeah, he's got to. Well, lose. and there's there's and there's actually a there is a Democrat there who ran last time who had a pretty good performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I forget his name now, uh, but you know there's there's some there's a decent chance that that seat could flip, at least temporarily. Um, you know who knows what happens in the long run. But I mean, I think part of the interesting thing to watch is as the Republican Party becomes more extreme. The candidates that they're putting up 
are becoming harder to vote for and are more divisive yeah. and more prone to making mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, that are making it harder to win certain seats. Well, I think that hope. hurt them in 2018. It did. Um, you know, it did. We'll, we'll see what happens going forward. But J.D. Shulton was the... Shulton, yes, that sounds right. Against him before, I'm willing to so. believe you and your Googling. I, hey, it was very quick Googling. It was a very quick Googling. Uh, King won by three points, so... Yeah. It's so winnable, that's a pretty right? narrow it's, it's win there, and he's only gotten crazier, so... Yeah, that's true. Okay, so now can we please talk about beer? Because I'm you really sure, because I think this this existential fear thing's really working for you. No, no, it's not not uh, working not, for no, me at not, all. Okay, all right. what is working for me is the Covalence Hazy IPA here at Empirical. Yes. I mean, I, first of all, as kind of a nerd, and by kind of a nerd, I've thought about starting a you know a band dedicated to settlers of Catan called Wheat for Sheep. <laughs> I love this place. Oh yeah, <laughs> all of the beers are kind of named with scientific terms. So I have this really nice covalence, and we can talk about covalent bonds and how that all works, organic chemistry, good stuff. It's a hazy IPA. I did very poorly in that class. I'm uh, just going to put that out there. But super tasty. But it, nonetheless, I like the beer, so that's yeah, okay. It, it's super tasty, and for us, and I really appreciate that they're catering to the podcasters here, it's served in kind of a tulip glass. Which makes it much easier yes. to drink when you're wearing this Britney yeah. Spears microphone. A little, yeah, a little inside baseball. The way that we do these recordings, because we're in a noisy environment, is we have headset mics. And so they're like very close to our mouths. So one of the things that's always a challenge is making sure that the microphone is far enough away from our mouths so that we can drink beer while talking without you hearing the bumping against the microphone right. going on. So the tube glass, very well shaped. See, let me demonstrate now. Yeah, very well done. Smooth. You did not hear any glass hitting the microphone. Smooth. See, now if I do that, like, Smooth. you know, you don't want that. That's terrible. So, yeah, I've got this this covalence. It's super good. Super good. Um, I, I've had empirical stuff before, but I'll tell you, I don't think I've ever had one from the tap. Yeah, I've, I've been here a couple times. This is actually the third closest brewery to me. So the two closest are Beguile and Dovetail. And then this is not too far a walk for me either. Band of so. Bohemia? I thought Band of Bohemia. Well, is. I always think of that as a restaurant, not a brewery. That's because true. It's like, fair. Yeah. Um, though it is a, their, their beer is excellent, but you, you really go there for the fine dining that also has excellent beer to go with it. Like, I'm not going to go there on a Sunday afternoon and record a podcast. We so haven't be been there weird. because I have a personal grudge against Band of Bohemia. Really? Because a uh, bartender spilled a drink on my phone. Oh, no. And ruined my phone. Oh. <sighs> I think it was your phone's fault, to be quite honest. It probably was. Okay. Yes. Anyway. Uh, but, but the yeah, beer anyhow, was good. Uh, I am drinking uh, the Symbiotic, and I've had two versions of this. So they have, like, it's a Berliner Weiss is the core beer, and then they do different variations of it. So the one I'm currently drinking is the Black Current Symbiotic, which is tasty. Um, the one I had before this was actually even a little better. It was the Tequila Barrel-Aged Symbiotic. So it was like... You know, kind of that little sour Berliner Weiss yeah. vibe, but then that little hint of tequila, very good. So Nice. And so for those of you who don't know, Empirical is on, it's essentially Foster and Ravenswood. So right by the train, I think the main entrance is on Ravenswood, but it's a cool you location. You don't remember? You just yeah, walked well, in. Yeah, well, no, I think it is. I, it, it definitely <laughs> is. There are like six <laughs> doors into this place, but only one works. Okay. Oh, they, okay. I, I just, well, I yeah. knew which one it was, so I'm, I and cheated. But They have a sign on one of the foster doors that has an arrow pointed west that says, sad day, no beer. And an arrow <laughs> pointed east says, 
empirical brewery around the corner nice. go in that door. Um, you know, kind of lofty style, but very, you know, scientific or pseudoscientific. Uh, posters up on the wall. I love the, peri- the periodic table. Periodic table. Yes. Up on the wall. Yes. Uh, it's also pretty close to Koval. Uh, so if you want to get some distilled products up the street, you can also do that. Could yeah, we do and that? actually, uh, could we do a podcast at a distillery? Uh, we could, I think. I, it might be slightly off-brand, but I'm willing to give it a try. Actually, uh, Koval is moving their uh, distillery. They, so they have a t- so the way the Koval set up is they have a big distillery further south on Ravenswood, and then yeah. they have a tasting room that's uh, actually just like right next door to us. Practically, it's on yeah. the other side of the train tracks. Um, and uh, so you can go there now, but it's only just tastings, and they have you have to schedule it. It's not like you can just walk in and try a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I've um, done a tour there. Yeah, exactly. You do tours. Ago, yeah. yeah. Um, what they're doing is they're actually moving further south, closer to where I live, which is great, um, and they're opening it as a s- distillery and restaurant. So they'll have like food, and they'll have you know cocktails, and yeah, it's gonna be good. So as Tina Fey says, I would like to go to there. Yeah. I mean that sounds fantastic. I know we kind of got off. Yes, you know that was that <laughs> was a right technically turn, not beer related. So no, that's uh, true. It's true. <laughs> but still, but still, pun intended. Pretty tasty alcohol related. Yes, right here in the neighborhood. So come by to Imperial. That'll be for our new podcast, Distilled Politics. I know that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was trying to come up yeah. off the top of my head. Um, I've had some really great stuff from from Koval that maybe we can pin. And we'll do an episode from Koval. The owners are great people. Oh, yeah. Really great people. Yeah. Um, one of the owners is an immigrant to the U.S., so there you go. Immigrants bringing good alcohol to Chicago right. since all forever. all comes together. Forever. Anyhow, that uh, wraps us up for this week. I so think it does. That's our national, international politics segment. I'm going to uh, curl around this beer and stare into it and hopefully lose my existential dread yes before yes. we start talking about uh, our yeah so we'll be talking about the local segment uh local chicago politics uh highly recommend you tune in this week uh if you don't always listen to our local podcast even if you're not a chicago person because we're gonna be talking a lot about chicago corruption um we went to a panel discussion uh with a few aldermen this week right. and they talked about sort of that transition of becoming right. an alderman and and some Three of what they've freshman aldermen in one one veteran well seasoned alderman. yes that's yes veteran alderman uh yeah and so it was a really great conversation so i think it'll be a good insight for you even if you're not a chicago person yeah. about how local politics can work sometimes and right. things that i did not realize that yeah. i learned a lot total like nerding out on this stuff so, and Rate us on iTunes yes. and then download that episode. Yes, download that episode and uh, and take care. Yeah, take care, everybody. <laughs>